We are kicking off a brand new series this morning that we are just simply calling this the gospel more than a life vest. The gospel more than a life vest. And uh, we use this word gospel. You've heard the, you know, the word gospel maybe before. We talk about the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Matthew. You've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, what does this word gospel mean? The word gospel literally means good news. Okay? We know that good news. It doesn't mean good advice. Okay? Some churches refer to it as good advice. You know, they, they come and say, here's, here's, here's how you have a better life, or you have a better family, you have a better marriage, you have those kind of things. The gospel isn't good advice. The gospel is good news. Here's what the gospel means. It means something is true that you didn't know about, or something has happened that you need to know about. All right? That's what the gospel means. But what is exactly, what is the good news? So we're going to do something here. I'm going to give you about a minute. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you. And I want you to do it. If you had to try and explain what's the good news of the Bible that we talk about, if, I want you to try and real quickly tell your neighbor, what is that good news? And if you're uncomfortable by that question, simply turn to them and tell them who you're going to cheer for this afternoon at noon, okay? <laughs> turn to your neighbor. See if you can do that. What, what is the good news we talk about? All right, all right. All right, you all probably had a little different perspective, but I would say that one of the most regularly used illustrations would be something along the lines of this. Maybe not this specifically, but this might be the view that you see of what is the gospel. The gospel being that we are dying, we are lost, we are about to go down, and God throws us a life vest, and he saves us, and, the, and we have the gift of heaven after this lifetime. That's the a simplest, and I would say this. This is absolutely true. This is probably one of the easiest ways to express uh, the gospel, and this is probably one of the ways why we talk to our kids this way, right? Even a child can understand that. I'm broken, I'm sinful, I need somebody to save me, right? Here's the problem, though. When this is the only view we have of the gospel, it's not the full picture. And if we don't get the full picture or a fuller picture, then it can influence negatively, potentially, the way we respond to the gospel and how it affects our life today and the way we think about today. And so what I want to do in this series is this is true. You know, if anybody wants to wear this, feel free to come grab it. But uh, I'm going to put that aside. And the, the image that I want to use in this series is that of a diamond. This ain't real, in case you're wondering. 10.99 on, on Amazon Prime if you want this. It's this paperweight, okay? It's great. And it's very sharp on this end, so don't touch it, okay? So I like to use the illustration of a multifaceted gem, okay? And here's what happens with the gospel, the good news, is that you and I, a lot of times, just like that life vest, we can get our eyes focused in on one facet of the gospel. We were lost, and now we have a, a, a life vest to save us, right? And that's beautiful. But my hope is in this series that we could pull back a little bit and turn the gospel around in our hands a little bit. And I don't, I, I don't begin to say that I have the full understanding of the gospel that no one else has. I don't pretend to say that at all. I don't have a full understanding. But my hope is for every single one of us that maybe for the first time we would look at this thing from some different angles. 
and we would see the, the grander beauty of the gospel. Because it is more than just, it is a life fest, absolutely, but it is more than that. And my hope is that God would reveal something that we would see him in a new way as we go through this series. My prayer also is that we would see his desire for this world and that ultimately it would transform how we view the world and how we see our part in this world, in this story that he is writing, okay? So this is my prayer for every one of us, all right? If you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to get started today. At the end, I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, around here, I don't get up to preach my ideas. My hope is that every week we just simply look at what God has to say and we say, how do we respond to that, all right? And so I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. If you don't have a Bible, you forget one, you can borrow one from the table at the back. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it with you. Uh, we want you to have a Bible, all right? Uh, but would you stand with me as our tradition around here as we read our primary text uh, together, Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse number 1. says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this good news. Um, God, we recognize that we don't always see clearly, and so my prayer this morning is that you would help me to speak clearly. And I pray that you would help all of us to hear, not my words, but to hear your words. Um, God, we want to know you better. We want to respond to you. We don't want to just play church and, and just check our box of listening to a sermon today. God, I pray we would be transformed by your word today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. All right. If you know it, sing it. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him. We got kids. They are weak. If you know the hand motions, do them. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible to... I don't know what the end is. Sorry. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. Okay. If you grew up in church, you know that song. If you didn't, you were utterly confused for the last few moments. It's totally fine, all right? Um, so many of us grew up singing this song. And just like the life vest analogy, this song is absolutely true. But if we stop there, it can be dangerous for us, okay? Because if we aren't careful, we can begin to make the gospel all about us. How great we must be. We think much of God only because he thinks so much of us. This is the concern that I have of the gospel. And so today we're going to take a step back for it. And, and I think we're going to look and see what I consider probably the most important facet of the gospel. And I say this confidently. If today isn't true, then the rest of this series isn't good. Okay? All right? 
If you got your notes, I want you to pull them out with me, all right? The backs of your uh, bulletins, you can follow along. Uh, we're going to get started in a place we don't usually. I'm actually going to start with our big so what this morning because this is our guiding thought for the whole morning. Here it is. God is the gospel. God is the gospel. God is the good news. The greatest good you can find in the gospel is God himself. If I'm going to put it in a hick term, there is no good that is gooder than him, okay? He is the goodest good of the gospel. Sometimes we act like the spoiled child or the, the thoughtless child. You know, you ever given a kid, a two or three or four-year-old a gift? They don't say thank you. They're not concerned. What, they're just excited about the gift, right? They're excited about what they've received, and, and they just carry on. And listen, if it's a two- or a three-year-old, totally understand that. But if I give my wife a gift, and she is, doesn't, it doesn't reflect on me at all, there's no concern or no gratefulness for what I have done for her, then, then something is a little bit wrong, right? The gift should enhance the beauty and the value of the giver, Right? When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the good news, hear this. The gifts are amazing. What God brings into this world is absolutely amazing. The hope that comes is absolutely amazing. It's overwhelming. It's abundant. And it's eternal. But hear this. The giver is better. The giver is better. When you first come to Jesus, we think about this. We think, he saves us, right? He saved me. And we, we get really excited about this salvation moment, and we may focus on that. But as we grow in our faith, so should our understanding of this giver who is coming, all right? James chapter 1 says this. James chapter 1 says every good. We got that verse here? No? I see it. There it is. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like Shifting shadows. Hear this. Every good gift, everything that you could ever receive, every good thing in the world, every good that you have ever experienced in your life comes from God himself. Those things that you value, those things that you love, those things that bring joy to your soul, they come from the very heartbeat of God. So how much better must our giver be? How much greater is the person who actually gives you the gifts that change your life? You know, we think about this world. We think about the, the things we enjoy. I don't know, those moments that just smile in your heart. You know what I'm talking about? Those moments where you're just satisfied. You recognize those are gifts from our God. That is just a foretaste of who he is. This is our God. God is the gospel. The gospel doesn't just give us some good stuff. We all know this. The gospel saves us from some bad stuff, right? Right? And a lot of times when we talk about the gospel, we talk about what we are saved from. You know, and, and that's good. That's important to be saved from some things. But you need to write this down. Who you are saved to is greater than what you are saved from. All right? We oftentimes, we look about what we've been saved from, what we're running away from. But sometimes when we get fixated on that, we miss the point. He wasn't just, it wasn't just to save him to an, an abyss. No, he was saving us to himself, right? That is the beauty of the gospel, that God was drawing us to himself. God is the gospel, right? The goodest good of the gospel is God himself. And the reality is this, that the benefits of the gospel are only good if he's good. 
Because if he isn't good, why would you want him to save you in the first place? If he isn't this picture that we see in scripture, why would you want to spend eternity with him? Why, why would you want him to rescue you? It's like, it's like you're drowning and you get rescued by a pirate who's going to make you jump right off the ship anyway. Like, what's, what's the point, right? God is the gospel, all right? So what I want to do just for a few moments here this morning is I want us to step back a little bit, uh, not just in the gospel, but also as scripture as a whole, and get a little bit of a grander view of the story that happens here, okay? We're going to step back. How many of you are Star Wars fans? Any Star Wars fans out there? We've got a couple of you. I'm sorry. Okay. No, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a Star Wars guy. Sorry, it's great. But here's the deal. If you're, if you're like me, if you're not a Star Wars person, you just really haven't watched the movies, here's what happens. I see the commercials for the Star Wars movies, and they look kind of crazy and cool, and the cinematography looks amazing, but I know something if I go to that movie. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be utterly confused. The whole movie, right? Because I'm going to look at the movie, and I'm like, I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know what's going on right now, Right? Because I don't know the story. I haven't seen all the movies. I don't really know this. how does this movie fit with, how is that character doing this? Like, I don't get it, right? And this is how we can feel when we get into the scripture sometimes, right? We look at the Bible and we're like, I don't really, where does that fit in? I don't understand that. And so what I want to try and do is I want to step back and take a very broad stroke at, at the story of scripture here for a moment to help you see a theme that is so prevalent in scripture. So we get to the beginning of the story. We get into Genesis, right? And what happens in Genesis, it says, God creates the heavens and the earth. By the end of chapter 1 here, God has created man and woman. He has created humanity. And his desire with humanity is that they would be different than everyone else, right? It says he creates them in the image of God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on in this series. But we are created uh, in God's, we are supposed to be image bearers of God here on this earth as God establishes his kingdom here on this earth, right? And so these, these image bearers are, are in deep communion. It says in chapter 3 of Genesis that God actually walks through the cool of the day. He walks through the, the garden. He has this fellowship with his people that is so intimate, so pure, so true, right? And we all know the story. Adam and Eve mess things up a little bit. And they choose, rather than to, to follow in his authority, they choose to go their own way in rebellion and say, I want to do things my way. What immediately occurs is a rift, right? There is this rift between humanity and between God, and we all feel that rift to this day. We experience the, the residue of that rift today, right? The story goes on, though, but God, the rest of Scripture is God attempting to redeem and, and once restore things back to what he intended from the beginning. That's the story, and so God interjects himself into humanity, into the story of the world. First and foremost, he does that uh, with Abraham. He goes to Abraham. Abraham didn't come to him. He went to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do something. I want restored relationship. I want this fellowship with humanity once again, and I'm going to initiate this. And so he begins to restore this story and start this new story. And Abraham lives, and we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his third son, uh, uh, the third one in line here. And Jacob, his name gets called Israel. Eventually, we have this nation of Israel who are the people of God and God is saying I want to establish this relationship once again I want to mend things I want to restore things and so what does he do he sets this people up and he says I want to be your God you would be my people I'm going to be your God and we have the story and we read through this and this is some of the parts of scripture when you read it and you're like I'm utterly confused what's going on right now but there's this stories where God says I, we're going to have a tabernacle in here and my presence is going to dwell in you but here's the deal 
because you're sinful, broken people, I can't just come hang out with you without anything. We have to, we have to do some things to, so that my holiness can reside in you. How can I get my presence amongst my people? So if you read the stories, he builds this tabernacle, and he says there's a lot of purification that's going to have to go on. There's a lot of sacrificial system that's going to have to occur so that this temple can be pure, so that my presence can be in the temple, so that once again I can be with my people, right? That's the story that we see throughout the Old Testament. And over and over and over again, we see people failing. And that's, the, that's kind of the point. God recognized our brokenness, and so God sends his very only son. And we call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Exactly. Once again, God restoring this communion with his people again, okay? And we know this. The death, the resurrection of Jesus purchases something for us. It washes us. In Scripture, we talk about it. It purifies us. It makes it holy. But why? Why? We go into Ephesians, and Ephesians talks about this. Listen, you have been purified that you are temples. Remember that image? We talked about the, the, there was the tabernacle and the temple, and they had to be purified so God's presence could dwell in those temples so that he could be with his people. The New Testament says we are those temples, so God is cleansing us so that his presence can dwell inside of us again and once again renew this communion with our God. God with us, but it goes beyond that in Ephesians, and it talks about that you and I, as followers of Christ, we as little mini temples are getting smashed together into a beautiful temple to God. We are that's what the church is. The church is this, it ain't a building. Listen, sometimes we use Old Testament language to talk about our sanctuary. Listen, I love that we have this sanctuary. Some of you gave sacrificially to build this building. This ain't the temple, okay? You are the temple. We, as the body of Christ, are the temple of God where he dwells by his spirit. His desire is intimacy with us. That this God of all creation, of all power, of all authority, the greatest good you could ever experience would dwell inside of you. That's the best news of the gospel. And it isn't just now, and it isn't just some vague sense of a God. Because sometimes we, we think about God. Yeah, God, yeah. He's up in heaven. He's got these clouds, you know. Sometimes we see chubby babies floating around, flying around him, you know, whatever it is. That's not the picture that we get in Scripture. The picture we get of God is an absolutely personal God. We see a transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, glorious, sovereign, eternal, holy, good, merciful, righteous, faithful, gracious, patient, beautiful, creative, gentle, kind, understanding, personal father that isn't just loving, but he is love. That's the picture of our God. And we get to Revelation, the story I just read, right? We get to Revelation, and finally, it's as if the writer wanted to say, finally, after all of this, God is with his people. He is their God. They are his people. There's communion once again. That's his heart's desire. Anything short of that is less than the greatest good you could ever experience. And I don't know what you've ever thought of God. Maybe your view of God has been different. Maybe you viewed the God, we talked about it last week and the week before, you view this God who wants to just whack you over the head and bring hardship on your life, and this God of wrath. Listen, the wrath is against the sin which stops him from being in relationship with his people. That's what the wrath is for. He desires you. The greatest good you can ever experience is him. His very presence, to know him. I said this earlier, you might, you might think, well, I don't know, that, is that good? Like, does that, is that fun even? I don't know if that sounds like fun. 
Listen, when you, you have moments, we've all had those moments of awe moments in your life, right? You ever had an awe moment? Maybe. I had one this morning. I was I posted something this morning on Instagram. I saw this picture. It was just like the sun was like, and there was like clouds and hay. It was just absolutely gorgeous. But maybe there's been moments, maybe you've gone hiking, you've been up in the mountains somewhere. You've just seen something that's just like, oh. Have you been to the ocean? Just like, oh. If you're a golfer, early morning on a golf course, I don't know what the moment is. You've had moments in life that just, it's just like, it's like your, your soul is filled up a little bit, you know? Listen, that's just a foretaste. That's a foretaste of the beauty and the wonder of our God. He is ultimately the most satisfying that you will ever experience. There is nothing greater. There is no good gooder than God himself. See, David wrote this in Psalm chapter 63. He said this, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. He goes on in Psalm 27 to talk about that I gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And the gospel is good because our God is that good and that glorious. Like we come on Sunday mornings, we just sang some songs, right? We don't come and sing on Sundays because it's preschool and like sing-along time, right? Why do we sing songs? We're singing songs about the beauty and the wonder and the glory of who our God is. To remind ourselves, because sometimes we forget. We're like, the, we're like the kid who's been offered, you know, Ruth's Chris meal, and we're, we're happy with a happy meal. Like, here's my happy meal. I love my happy meal. No, here's a better meal, and it's God himself. He is available to you. He wants to be with you. God is the gospel. I'm going to close this morning. Uh, and I want to dig into just a couple verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is writing about the gospel here. And when he's talking about the gospel, he kind of gives us uh, his, his viewpoint of how he understands the gospel. And it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, the gospel, he refers to the gospel as the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The good news of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It goes on in verse number 6. And he refers to this. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is he saying there? He's saying, listen. The gospel is seen most clearly in the face of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus himself is actually our purest revelation of the character of God. Our purest understanding of who this God is, right? That we see. You want to say, what is God like? Look at Jesus. You want to see a revelation of who is this God? We feel sometimes like, I don't really know. I, I feel like I know him. Guess what? Look at Jesus. He is that image of God. This is the glory of God. That is what the good news is. It's the glory of God that is revealed in the very face of Jesus. Listen, did Jesus' work on earth accomplish something on your behalf? Absolutely. Did he save you? Absolutely. Did Jesus' work bring us salvation that we couldn't attain for ourselves? Absolutely. But the greatest gift that Jesus brought is this, the fullest and most accurate revelation of who God is. That is the greatest gift, that we would see God for who he is. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection is the most personal and vivid expression of his glory. Because when we look at Jesus, what do we see? We see the very Son of God leaving the glories of heaven and exchanging that for the agony of a cross. 
And when you look at Christ that way, you recognize he has all power and authority. It was his choice. But because of who he is, because he is love, not because he's loving, because he is love, he self-sacrificially laid himself down for us. That's who he is. That's who our God is, right? He is greater than we can imagine. And when you think about this, when you understand this, it erases. This is what erases that view that we have sometimes uh, that would say, oh, God is just that, that wrathful, vengeful God out there. This obliterates that view. It breaks it down because what we see in the face of Christ is beauty. We see his absolute holiness, his altogether otherness, right? It calls us more like a lover would call us. He's not commanding anything. He's calling us back to himself. He doesn't just get to our, our minds. He gets to our hearts, right? He's calling us. He's saying, listen, I love you this much. I'll lay myself down. That's who I am. That's what I'm like. You want to know what God's like? This past week, we celebrated uh, and, and remembered uh, 9-11 and re remember the tragedy that took place on that day. I don't know about you, I can remember exactly where I was on 9-11. I was a sophomore in college. Um, I was uh, walking into our chapel at North Central and, and they had the video footage up on the screens and it was just overwhelming. You, you can remember the emotions you felt, right? The f there was fear, there was anxiety, there was anger. There was all these, feel these negative feelings that I was feeling. I don't know about you. I'm feeling all these things. And when you think about the events of that day, it still makes you feel some of those feelings again. You're reminded of just like, ah, oh, that, was, that was gross. That was horrible. But in the midst of all the ugly, there was some beauty. And it wasn't the tragedy. It wasn't those things. It was some men and women. And there are men and women to this day that every year remind us of that. We got a picture, if you can pull that up here. Some of you may be seeing these pictures. This is a firefighter uh, just this last week wearing all of his gear, going to the gym to reenact what so many firefighters, oh, I think it was 300 of them, over 300 firefighters lost their life that day. And what did they do? When everybody else was running away from the, the flames and trying to get out of the building, they put all their stuff on and they tried hiking up the building into the face of danger, into the flames, knowing that their life is on the line, right? They were willing to do that for other people. It's 110 flights of stairs, and that's what these firefighters will do to remember what they did. In the midst of all the ugliness that we see in our world, the, the, the ugliness of that situation, there is beauty when you look at the hearts and you remember the lives of people who are willing to lay themselves down. Listen, when you think about that, it doesn't make you think, oh, how great those people were that they were saving. It makes you think, what a heart those people had to be willing to put themselves in danger for the sake of another. And when we look at the cross of Christ, that is what we see. You want the clearest presentation of who God is? It's the cross of Christ. Not because we're so great. I'm so great. God had to, he had to have me. He wanted me on his team, so he came to save me. No, he is that good that he loves you, that he was willing to do what he didn't necessarily want to do to save you. He put himself on the line for your sake. That's the character and nature of our God. And some of you are here this morning, and you're like, nobody cares about me. You are wrong. 
You are wrong. There is a God in heaven who passionately cares for you. And it isn't just about you because you're so great. It is because he is that good. And his desire isn't that, that he would have you, but that you would have him. That you would know him. That you would be filled with his presence. That he would be your source. That as, as the picture in Revelation, that you would be surrounding the throne. That he would be your God. That you would be his people. That you would know the love of God that fills you from the inside out, that transforms you. That's his desire for you. God is the gospel. There is no better good than God himself. He loves you. The powerful, majestic, eternal God is the hope that we have. That's what our eyes look to. This gospel is so good. But at its core, it's not about us. It's all about some of you are here this morning and maybe you are, you've been following Jesus and maybe you've lost sight of that a little bit. Say, God, I, I've not really been thinking about you much. I've just been thinking about the gifts you've been giving me or the gifts I wish you were giving me. You say this morning, God, I want to I come to you. I want to turn back to you. I want to see you. And listen, I can't convince you of this. I've not, not been praying this week that I can convince you of anything. I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would bring revelation to your heart of who he is, okay? But there's others of you who came in the room this morning, you've never responded to this, God, because your view of God was wrong. You didn't see God as actually the gospel. You see, well, maybe I could get a ticket out of hell. That's what I want. No, God wants something greater for you. Remember, who you are saved to is better than what you were saved from, all right?